the 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911. on the Central Coast. It's Wednesday, January 24th, 2024. I'm Dave Congleton. In about an hour, David Blakely, former county supervisor, is very proud of his father, the late Everett Blakely, distinguished World War II combat pilot, uh, featured in the new Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks TV series, Masters of the Air. David will tell us the story during the 6 o'clock hour. This hour, we have a current supervisor. Always good to be in conversation with District 3 County Supervisor, Dawn Ortiz Lake, who joins us now. Supervisor, good afternoon. Good afternoon. David. Nice to see you. Thanks for coming in. Well, thank you for inviting me. Uh, so much to ask you about. I think I just start with a basic question. Who is running the county these days? Do we have a replacement yet for Mr. Nylon? Actually, we are uh, just closed the recruitment for a um, chief administrative officer, which um, we had out since December. We had a um, Western region um, search put out for or openings, and we, we, we actually put it out to all the Western states and throughout California, and we now have a um, a pretty nice selection of candidates. Get a that, lot of applicants? Yes, we mm. did. And we have um, some very experienced individuals that have applied, and it's going through the process. So I think by the early part of February, we will have our chance to take a look at the whittled down list and then um, do some interviews internally there amongst the board and others. And, um, and probably by first part of March, um, we should be having a, a new candidate that may be getting an offer from us. Cool. Yep. Any, any lessons learned from the nylon? I don't want to drag through that, but any lessons learned from that experience? Yeah, I think there's um, some lessons learned. Not so much in the fact that, um, you know, this idea that we didn't do our homework or did something like that. I mean, we got really, you know, rave reviews um, from former colleagues in Kern and um, the, the performance that he had was as far as really kind of structuring our meetings and all of that was pretty outstanding. Um, the lessons learned is that you never know. And when people speak up, what a difference it makes and then to take action. And so I think that what we did is send a direct message to our staff and to anybody out in the community that certain behaviors are just not allowed and that anybody who feels that intimidation, you know, needs to know that they're heard. If you see something, see something, say something. Correct. Um, can we ever have a woman run the county? Would well, you like right to now see we that? do have a woman running the county. Yeah, but interim. Uh, yes, she is. She is. She's the she's the assistant CAO, and she's right now the interim. But she's doing a, a great job. Um, she chose not to put her name in at this point because she still has some um, younger children that you know she feels like the the time will come for her to go for the big role. But right now she's doing a fantastic job, um, Rebecca Campbell, in running the county um, and taking care of a lot of issues that we have. What are your thoughts on the attempted recall of your colleague, Supervisor Gibson? Well, I don't 
you know, it's a kind of a head scratcher. Um, I guess two things. One is that to go through that kind of effort during an election year when there's other things going on um, seems to be interesting way to spend your time, especially since the governor would then appoint another supervisor. And I'm not sure what the law says about if somebody was recalled, could they be reappointed to the position? I don't know if that's that's a good question. I don't know what that answer is. Um, The other part is that one of the things that really is kind of odd is that the complaint really has to do with the fact that Mr. Gibson um, did take the initiative once he was elected in the North County to assume the role of the representative on the Paso Water Basin. And that is really something I think that that was one of the things that really bothers them. And yet he would never have done that if they hadn't changed the map. It all comes back to that blankety blank map, doesn't it? (laughs) Kind of like an odd thing. That's what all I can say. It's very odd. And well, so, but you as, know. You, as you're aware, supervisor, there are so many people listening right now who are frustrated because they don't know who their supervisor is or if they even have a supervisor because well, of that map. Yes, yeah. The map really did um, jumble things up, so to speak. And everybody does have a supervisor. Um, I can speak clearly to the the areas that felt that they were not going to be represented and that did not get to vote, by the way, um, in 2022, Los Osos and Oceano in particular. And... Um, Supervisor Paulding is very much engaged in Oceano, doing a lot of work there. And then Supervisor Gibson is managing um, Los Osos back to the area that he knows so well. And so, um, you know, the rest of the map is kind of put back together. I never moved. I think that's one of the things people don't understand. People will say, well, you, you, you do Morro Bay. And actually, Supervisor Gibson is back in overseeing Morro Bay. And District 3, because of the way that I came in and the way that the District 3 um, election works, is that we now, this year, 2024, is the year that um, the term starts again, fresh, since the... 2020 appointment that I received. Right. And you just had the meeting on, you appointed a redistricting commission? Well, what we did is that we discussed what that looks like, an independent redistricting commission, and what our options were to put forth either an ordinance or put something on the ballot in regards to um, having a independent redistricting commission. And so what we decided was, and this was kind of a work in progress we did it right there we everybody kind of said we should go to the voters and what came forth both from um other members of the board that really weren't that supportive of it but they were but you know and supervisor prashong in particular was saying you know likely this is going to be put forth at the state legislature so all counties are going to have to have independent redistricting commissions um that kind of looks like what may happen so we had the option to say we're taking it to the legislature if they put forth a law that says san luis obispo county establish a re independent redistricting commission we will do so and um, that could be carried forth by the legislature that commission itself will not come into play until late 2029 2030 is when things will start getting put in place and the um because redistricting won't happen again until the 3030 census is done and so that's why this is a long-term effort 
you know, I was kind of like, we're even doing it now. <laughs> but, um, you know, there were a lot of people that were concerned about the map issue. And so this kind of puts in play the fact that the citizens themselves um, throughout the county, I think there will be a commission of 11 individuals or is it seven? I can't remember. All of this will come forth in more detail. Um, but those folks who actually apply to the commission, there's some very strict rules on who can apply and it, that you can't have been involved in politics and you can't have given any candidate money within so many years and you can't have been on certain commissions and appointed and all of that. So there's a lot of rules here. Sounds pretty complicated. It is. Uh, we're in conversation with District 3 County Supervisor Don Ortiz Leg. We'll uh, take a quick break, come back, chat some more. We'll welcome your phone calls and text messages after news at the bottom of the hour. We're live, we're local, we're hometown radio. You have landed on the Dave Congleton Show, where we are engaged in conversation with District 3 County Supervisor Dawn Ortiz Leg, who, as it turns out, is running for re-election, but you don't have an opponent. I don't have an opponent. How did you manage that? I'm, I don't know, Dave. I guess that, you know, I really try to be all things to all people. You can't make everybody happy, but um, I'm not sure. You know, it, it, I think also it's it's tough to do this job. I think that people have to take... Um, um, a good hard look at their lives to de- decide if they want to give up. You know, if you have family and things like that, there's there's a lot of sacrifices that go on. Fortunately for me, you know, I have a beautiful 27 and a half year old who's off on her own and is doing she her 27 thing. 27 now? Yes, she oh, is, Georgia. Yeah. And, um, oh. you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm fortunate yeah. that I have the freedom to serve. And like I always say that this, I never served in the military and this is my time, but there will be a chance for people to come after me for sure. And I think this, you know, likely will be my last four years. When they say come after you, you mean follow you, not follow come you. after you. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'll make that clear. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So are you saying this will be your last term? I think so. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I, I guess you have a, somebody's going to run against you as a write-in candidate. Well, that's what I hear. I don't see, I don't know what that is. And, right. you know, so uh, the main race in for supervisors is District 5, Funk versus Moreno. Are you endorsing anybody? Yes, I have endorsed Susan Funk. Susan Funk. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that, you know, District 5 is is lucky to have two really good candidates overall. And um, I work with Susan on the HSOC and she's, I'm sorry, what is that? That's the Homeless Services Oversight Committee. So okay. I'm the board representative there. And um, there's lots of things that have been accomplished in the last couple of years. We still got a long way to go. And so, um, you know, I look forward to serving with whoever is the winner of, of that race. I guess I was kind of expecting you to come full throated out for Susan. Well, we I mean, I endorsed her. her. got to put her on. <laughs> I mean, I've endorsed her. And, you know, I just think that, you know, this is their race to determine up there. And, um, you know, we 
we serve with with each other and all these other capacities and so uh see how that turns out all right uh, a couple of issues if we could uh, supervisor uh karen veely has a story up about the integrated waste management authority uh, apparently a program manager named yvonne diaz had been there for about two years she resigned on january 15th she accuses both the director and the deputy director of misappropriating public funds any reaction to that story um, well, one, we just this year came back to the IWMA. I don't even think we've had a meeting yet. I, I am not serving. I think I am the alternate. So we're, we haven't been engaged in the IWMA. Um, there was a thorough house cleaning of that organization. Um, I will say that the executive director or general manager, um, of that, of the IWMA is of very high regard um, throughout the industry, throughout um, amongst amongst the um, professionals who are engaged with the IWMA. I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know the facts, so I couldn't speak to it. I can just tell you that um, the way things have been running over there the last couple of years, things have been very much cleaned up. So, all right, that'd be very surprising. But just help me understand, then, please, Supervisor, if if a I don't know what the rank a program manager is, but if somebody like this comes forward and makes serious allegations, does that come to your desk as a supervisor? Do the five of you find out about this? No, I have not heard anything about this. So to date, no. Does that surprise you? Do you want to know more about this? I think that, um, you know, a lot of things happen with folks making accusations i think obviously an investigation and seeing what you know what takes place from there again um we just appointed our role so right now we're just winding down from our own waste management yeah. system internally um you know we've got a lot of things on our plate i'm sure it'll if, if something serious that's there that is revealed i'm sure we'll find out about it so if this woman is right you'd want to know about it yeah, of course. Okay. Of course. Why do we need the IWMA? That question always comes up whenever we talk about it. What's the need in your mind? Well, the need is this, is that um, we're a large rural suburban county that has an extensive amount of um, acreage to cover when it comes to our waste management. And it's a matter of um, resources, and when we can join together, we're actually, because we're going back, we're actually saving over $700,000 um, in general fund to be able to offset, which have to, would have to be passed on to the consumer. And so um, it's, it's, a, it's efficiencies is what it is. And, you know, that's one reason to do it. They're also, I they think the thing is, is that, you know, when you have something like waste management, most of the haulers do cover regions that encompass both the un- unincorporated and the incorporated areas. And so it's better to be together. We have these mandates that are coming out from the state. It helps to join forces to address the the needs and the um, requirements that we have. So you're uh, confident that everything that was troublesome in the past has been cleaned up? Yes, I am. As far as you're concerned? Yes, I am. All right, Don Ortiz Lake on this broadcast. District 3 County Supervisor will welcome your phone calls after news at the bottom of the hour. What kind of car are you driving these days? Have you got an electric yet? No. (laughs) And why would it take you to go electric, and why haven't you made that leap? Because I I have a car. First off, I drive like point. 
Point two miles to my job from my home. Yeah. Uh, that's number one. Two, I have a 2018 very nice car that's a very fuel-efficient four-cylinder car that, um, you know, I don't really drive that much anymore. Um, and I don't, I can't afford a new car. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to go, in, I don't, I'm not going to go in about the supervisor salaries, but, yeah. you know, um, that's a big reason. I would do it. I actually did install solar at my home, and I did put in a um, a battery, you know, or a charging system for when the time comes. But I'm I'm not heading to the dealership at this point. When you when you do go to the dealership, though, would you be inclined to look at a hybrid or an electric car? I would look at a hybrid. See, I'm the same way. Yeah, I can't do electric. No, but I would do hybrid. Yeah, yeah. So. Hmm. Yeah. All right. But given your back, you used to work at PG&E. What do you make of, we seem to be heading towards keeping Diablo Canyon up and running. What do you make of that? Well, you know, I was one of the first people to come out and say that um, that the plant needs to stay open. And so I'm very pleased with the action. I think that there's a number of things. I think that the state and the world and the country have finally realized that if we're going to address climate, if we're going to really shift our energy transition, nuclear has to be part of the portfolio. And um, in the climate um, summit last December in Abu Dhabi, the United States took a very strong role amongst other countries, and the orders are up for all sorts of um, uh, potential nuclear applications, and I think it's a very good Thing that we are blessed to have Diablo Canyon in um, San Luis Obispo County in California as the largest electricity generator that's carbon free in the state. Um, we're lucky to have the team of people that have worked super hard to turn this thing around and and to do all the um, paperwork and all the application and all the safety and all the stuff that's needed in order to go ahead and apply and work with the NRC and the state agency. So, And do you want Bravo. Diablo Canyon to stay open beyond the five years? I think that, yes, I do, because I don't think it's important. I think it's very important that we don't put carbon into the atmosphere. And um, I don't believe we'll be ready um, to shut it down in five years, but... You know, even the governor has said that. So I'm at the one minute mark with Supervisor Ortiz. Like, have you taken a position yet on the wind project off the Central Coast? Well, y yes. I mean, first off, the position is that the wind farm is coming to the Central Coast because the federal government leased the land. So I don't have a, we don't have a vote on that. We never did. Um, we don't have a vote on what happens in Morro Bay. We don't have a vote what happens in Port San Luis. They are their own entities. But we do have the opportunity to determine how the wind um, can benefit the Central Coast. And it's a very large conversation, and we're looking for collaboration and understanding because, again, we have been a leader in energy generation here at the county. You know, from the days of the oil out of Avila that were tanked out and you know, tank farm and all of that to what happened at, with Diablo Canyon and then with our utility scale solar projects, which I'm very proud of. Um, you know, we're we're known to be energy generators. And of course, we've been blessed with these transmission lines from the old Morro Bay plant and Diablo Canyon. So we have the kind of infrastructure that's that's very attractive to be able to generate energy and to transmit it out to the rest of California. All right. We're in conversation with County Supervisor Donna Ortiz Lake. We've got news, traffic, weather. We've got a lot of text messages coming in. We'll welcome your phone calls as well. You're listening to Hometown Radio.
You have landed on the Dave Congleton Show, always your hometown radio talk show, where we are in conversation with 3rd District County Supervisor Don ortiz Leg on the Stahlberg Line. Here's Susan. Hey, Susan. Question, why can't the Central Coastline be a marine sanctuary similar to the one in Monterey? Please explain why the federal government makes a decision about wind energy rather than California. Because it is a conversation in regards to our need to generate electricity. And because we have transmission lines, um, it makes our area very attractive to be able to um, to be designated for floating offshore wind. And, um, you know, at the time with, with the closure of Diablo, I mean, people have to have jobs. We need energy and we, have, we need jobs. And so the two of them go together. And that's kind of why we were designated. And, you know, I just want to say that um, one of the things that has been a kind of going around that's misinformation is that somehow we were going to build a port the size of Long Beach. And that's not accurate. Basically, right now, we're, we're really looking at um, a potential of an operations and maintenance hub, which basically means that all of the turbines and all would be uh, assembled in other places and towed in to the to the farm that would be remember 25 miles out plus um from the shoreline so they would be out there and then from this location we would actually have boats of crews to go out and maintain these the the turbines so it's not quite exactly the way people have framed it up and it's a it's a incredible opportunity. I mean, four hundred twenty five million dollars was spent for three unique projects um, that was through the federal government, and then the investment also puts twenty seven million in community benefits and sixty six million in workforce training on the table mm-hmm. for us as a county. Let's take some calls. We'll start with Ron and Aurora Grande. Hey, Ron. Hi, Dave. I have two calls. Uh, okay. I mean, two questions. <laughs> sure. Uh, I, on the last one there, uh, you indicated, well, you know, it's, uh, people are thinking it's going to be one size for the port. Uh, is there any port on uh, our area here going to be expanded uh, because of the need to uh, transport people and things like that, or, or their, the existing ports are all fine? No, actually, we don't know yet. Um, we now are at the county. We are actually in the uh, right in action to put out a notice of funding to the ports that some monies that we got from the legislature will be distributed amongst the public ports to be able to see what's feasible for them when it comes to operations and management. It'll be a chance for them to get a technical analysis on do they or do they not want to participate. And so that is um, underway at this point in time. What else, Ron? Well, uh, just a, a little tag on to that. So the companies that are involved with these wind windmills or whatever, I don't know if they've even been selected, uh, they don't know their needs uh, along the port, I guess. No, but, actually, uh, yeah, they do They do know their needs. They need a place to um, launch boats with workforce and, and tools and things like that. You know, think about maintaining any kind of a turbine. And so um, that's what their needs are. And, you know, three companies, they, we know who they are. Two of them are U.S. companies. One of them is a um, Norwegian company. What's the second uh, question, redist- Ron? Redistricting. Uh, yes. I live in Royal Grande, mm-hmm. and last year, uh, I think it was last year or the year before, uh, I, I think we had like an open election instead of by district. 
and Royal Grande changed that and put out a map to the people and, and indicated how many uh, residents are in a certain area, and, and they had the citizens divide up the districts, and you had parameters, how many ha- people had to be in each district, and there's a plus or a minus. And I think uh, I didn't ever see the final one, but I submitted one. Uh, what's the reason that you have to wait until 2030? Because they, they didn't wait till 2030. Well, no, they came off, that came off of their 2020 census, and that's the city of Arroyo Grande. And the way redistricting works is that it's a way to make sure that everybody gets equal representation, but, but it, it's based on a census. Census happens every 10 years. So the 2020 census was done, cities and the county, they did some redistricting. If the population changes at a certain percentage, if it's over a certain percentage, you have to redistrict. If it's under a certain percentage, you don't have to change the lines. But that's why it's happening. It won't happen again now until 2030. All right, Ron, thank you. 805-543-8830 if you want in with conversation with uh, Supervisor Ortiz Leg. Alan's in San Luis. Hi, Alan. Hi, Dave. Hi, Supervisor. Hi. Hello, Alan. Hi. Over the last several years, I keep hearing of one issue after another that we're restricted because we're classified as a rural county. Are the supervisors looking at or have they attempted to petition either either the state legislature or Newsom to convert us into an urban county? Actually, we're ca- classified as suburban rural. Um, and and it depends on what you're talking about because it does have impacts. Um, you know, one of the things that we people are usually talk about when we talk about being designated rural is our Medicare um, reimbursements and and medical reimbursement rates that the doctors have. Which you know we we're, we're classified under rural, but we're certainly expensive like urban. So I don't know if that's what you're referring to. That but, was one of them that came up recently. Yes, yes, yes and that. And we do lobby on those on that issue particularly because it's really hurting our ability to um, attract new physicians to the area. Alan, so who do we talk to? Is it Newsom? Is it the legislature? It's who? the federal government. That's on federal government. Oh, it's feds. Okay. okay. Very good. Thank, thank you. you. All right, Alan. Thank you. Eight zero five five four three eight eight two three zero. Mona joins us now on KVEC. Hi, Mona. Hello, Supervisor. I had a question about offshore wind, and uh, it's regarding the huge uh, public information, I'll call it a forum, in early November of last year. There was 500 people online, about 200 people in the audience, including myself. A lot of information was presented about offshore wind that, uh, you know, was good information, but uh, I'd like to see a repeat of that, but perhaps with some neutral experts that could give us um, a better overall picture of some of the things that might go wrong, what we might be looking out for, things that we need to be concerned about. So maybe subject matter experts that don't uh, work for the wind energy and, um, and don't work for the government. So I'd just like to request that, and I, I know you were there, yeah. and uh, there's a lot of people very interested. I think a repeat would be a good idea. Stay with us, Mona. What do you say, Supervisor? Of course. I think that Mona brings up a really good point. Um, you know, there's, there is, we had over 750 feet. 50 people participate in a community dialogue um, that was 
initiated by our state and federal legislatures, and it was at the government center, and we had agency, and we had the goal, goal, the industry leaders and things like that, and some of us from, you know, local community too. Um, but a lot of people felt that, well, you're just telling us the good news. You're not giving us what all the potential is. And, you know, being a former solar utility scale development team member, um, there there are things that need to be brought forth as far as like, well, what happens when this happens? And so, I, I you know, I'll take that suggestion and, and go forth with it, Mona. I am happy to try to um, determine who could be on that panel and, and even work with you on that because I, I think it would really help in conveying information where people feel like, oh, you're just trying to sell us a, 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 bag, of, a bag of goods here. We don't know what we're getting. What else do you want to say, Mona? I think that's all, and thank you very much. All right, thank Mona, you, Thanks Mona. for the call. 805-543-8830, 800-549-5832. For County Supervisor Don Ortiz-Lake, Nicole's in Morrill Bay. Hi, Nicole. Uh, hi there. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi. Hi. Um, I, have, I have a question. Um, I just heard uh, Supervisor Ortiz-Lake talk about the money that was received from the state and how... Um, some of it will be given out to the three ports in question, one of them, I believe, being Morrill Bay. Yes. Um, however, our um, city council has been in talks um, directly with Supervisor Ortiz Leg, as well as other ones, regarding that money, and we're told that we would receive zero funds and that all the funds would be given to um, a company called Mott McDonald to do the studies. And then there would be other money potentially for uh, salary and staff things at the county. But Morro Bay, who's having to deal with an influx of, uh, of, this, uh, of this type, is getting no money from the county, according to our harbor director report as of last night. Let's get a comment. So I'm curious yeah. if, hey, hey, if Supervisor can clarify. Right. Sure. So there's a million dollars that is earmarked to be done for feasibility of port concepts and um, because there are three public ports in the area um, we have to consider the best way to utilize that funds and um, what we're suggesting is that each port um, do a scope of work and uh, in regards to what they would like to see um, if they just to feasibility, because this is only just trying to study it, right? We're just trying to study it. And so in order to make the money go further, a portion of it will be done and each port will get to determine this is what we want to study. Stay out of this area. Look at this. We only want to do this. So each of them gets to create their own scope of work. That money goes to the experts, which are the the the, the global people who know how to do these things. And that is one chunk. Another chunk of money will then be divided amongst those ports to be able to come back into the community. And I and maybe Ted had didn't hear the whole story yet because we've been still trying to figure this out because we want to be fair with everybody and we. We want to make sure that the money goes to cover the costs of their needs as well in Morro Bay, their needs in Port San Luis, because nobody has the capacity amongst all of us right. to, you know, we never had extra staff, any of us. So that's how we're trying to get that to be a, a fair share, Nicole. Nicole, what else? Well, I, I appreciate that, but, you know, I've been speaking with my local council member who has uh, Zara Landrum, who's spoken directly with Supervisor Ortiz. 
and the consistent message is there is no money. No, that's not accurate. I'm sorry, things. Nicole. So you're saying yeah. that's not true. Yeah. No, I think that we've been we've been having these conversations and we've heard them loudly and clearly that they need the funds to be able to um, help with staffing costs, etc. So we're working really hard to make sure we support them because they're our partners and we want them to be able to make a good decision for what's best for your community together with the community. So your voice is very important there, Nicole. All right, Nicole. Thanks for the call. This is why we like having our elected officials come on so they can separate fact from fiction and kill some of these rumors. Sandy joins us now on KVEC. Hi, Sandy. Hey, hi, Dave. Hi, Sandy. Sandy from Oro Grande. Hi, Dawn. How are hi. you? We're good. Hi, Sandy. Good. Hi. Hey, guys. Um, really quick, thank you for your vote on the 32 vote um, on the 16th um, regarding the redistricting. I, I really do applaud you for that. I, I'm in full agreement with the um, independent study or not the independent um, commission to do that. My question is because it was so subjective. I mean, I, I definitely don't qualify to serve on that um, that panel. But um, where are we going to find those 45 candidates? Because I know it was 45 <laughs> candidates, 11. Well, I mean, we would yeah. be buried under a rock if people are not really involved in politics. You know, I mean, it, we've gone through it with the patent map, with the B map, A map, or whatever. Yeah. And it's just like, where are we going to find those candidates who have not donated $500 to a candidate, who have no. not uh, served on a, on a um, central committee for either the Republican or Democrat Party? And who doesn't have a family member involved either? Let's, right. say, let's get a response. Yeah, I mean, I, you bring up a very good point. It was one of the things that we talked about. It's like, how do you find these impartial people? Um, I think they'll be out there, though, overall, Sandy. You know, it's there's one of the things that's going to, what costly about this is that the amount of outreach that's going to be necessary to locate those individuals that haven't really participated in the public process, but may have interest enough. And if we frame it in the right way, they'll, they'll understand that it's about their representation. Presentation. And probably there's individuals out there who actually fall into the category who haven't been on a, you know, an advisory board run for office themselves and all the things that you just mentioned. So it is going to be the task. I mean, that's really where the independence comes in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I said, I think that night is that, well, th- this is going to be interesting. <laughs> Sandy, what else? It really, it really is. I mean, it really, really is. But I think that's the way to do it. Who knows where we're all going to be in 2030? That's the whole thing. I was just like, oh, I'm getting PTSD over the whole redistricting myself. You know, huh. so I think we all are. It, so. All right, Sandy, thank you. Thanks, Sandy. Uh, we catch Charlotte on KVEC. Hi, Charlotte. Hey, Dave. Hi, I'm Charlotte. Don. Uh, Hi. Thanks for being on the show. Hi. As a, as a candidate for supervisor again, you are Adam Hill's planning commissioner. Nothing gets to the county board of supervisors without the knowledge of the planning commissioners. What and how much did you know about his corruption, and what is your take on corrupt politicians? <laughs> wow. Um, well, first off, I was as floored as everybody was in regards to... As a matter of fact, we just had this conversation last night. You know, it was like, I just... Uh, I just still can't believe it. And, you know, I, I never saw it coming. Um, but again, you know, that was at a time of COVID. I didn't have that much contact with him. But yeah, I don't support 
um, any corrupt politicians. And I think that, uh, you know, this job is hard enough on yet to, to have to make it even harder by making things um, going going that route. So um, I don't I don't have any further comment other than, yeah, it was pretty disgusting and we're all very sad about it. Charlotte? Well, I pause. That's all. all right. I pause. Charlotte, thank you. Danny is with us on KVEC. Hi, Danny. Good evening. Hi, Danny. Hello. So, hi, hi, Don. Um, I'd like to start with uh, you've been a mild surprise to me for the job you've done. You've you've done a pretty good job for our county to start with, <laughs> and then. Where are we on the desal project for uh, for Diablo, and can we expand that to maybe send it north to 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 start filling Whale Rock? Uh, well, Whale Rock is full. I think that um, here's where we are on desal. One, you know, because the planet Diablo really is necessary for further further operation there, we can't really rely on that. Also, the cost and the capacity there is the cost to move it. Um, the water is is pretty high. So really what we're at right now is we're on the first phase of five phases of, of a feasibility study with the County of Santa Barbara to determine where along the coastline we could be placing a desal plant. So our desal plans are moving forward at a very cautious, but um, we've got money to do this. We're, we're really looking. We have a team. Uh, we're working with Santa Barbara County. So desal is in the future. Where and how and when, um, that's what's um, under under study at this point. Danny. Well, um, we've already got a desal plan out there. Yeah, it and it's needs used. to be expanded, and yeah. the 500 lines will give it an unquenchable amount of load. So, yeah. so I we, don't quite again, understand why we're Right. We, we really else. we really have taken a good look at that. We don't really waste because I mean we would love to use you know, if there's a desal plant that makes sense and, and the and the conveyance of the water makes sense and all that cost and investment. Technologies have changed. We have a lot of opportunities to do some things. So, you know, we you know, I get where you're coming from. We've looked at it. We've all said it, and um, that's where we're at right now, though. But, oh. but you know, again, there's going to be necessary need for desal up there, whether or not it's for um, the continuation of operations of the plant or future operations of other um, research and development, etc. So, all right. yeah, Danny, thank you. Last call goes to Sherry on KVEC. Hi, Sherry. Hi. Hi. This is, hi. This is Sherry Hafer. Um, my husband's the president of the Morrill Bay Commercial Fishers Organization. Okay. John knows. Yep. Hi, Sherry. <laughs> Hi. Um, so I just want to correct you real quickly that there are two companies that are European. The other one is uh, Central California Wind is based in uh, Germany and Portugal. So, and then there's, so there's just one that's the Invenergy is, is Chicago based. Chicago. I thought that yeah. the other one, so I know Equinor is um, Norwegian. And then, yeah. what was the third one? I can't remember the name. Uh, it, it, well, it's actually Ocean Wind, but then they changed their na- name to, I think, Central California Wind. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, um, but yeah. anyways, my question is. Um, so, you know, the fishermen have a lot of concerns, um, and um, the first one is the upcoming site surveys. Um, you know, they're planning on uh, permitting 228 decibels, which, you know, 
fish start dying at at 180, 200. And um, they're claiming, bombs claiming that there's no going to be no impacts to, to fishermen. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, the, the surveys are going to last a long time. It's going to require thousands of hours surveys, especially now because they're, they're planning on on um, putting cables now from uh, Moss Landing to Port Wainimi. I need to I need to jump in because I'm up against the clock. I can give the supervisor one minute to respond to this, please. Yeah, again, this is you know federal waters, federal issues. We don't have a voice in this as far as a vote kind of a voice. Um, hear your concerns. Um, planning on talking to Bohm and expressing back to our citizens' concerns about the survey. So thank you. All right, uh, Sherry, thank you. We'll come back and wrap things up with the supervisor. We're live, we're local. You're listening to The Dave Congleton Show. Where a listener on the Stolberg line is saying the supervisor is sounding very practical and conservative. It might be time to change her party affiliation. I don't see that happening. Uh, I don't see it happening either. I always said I was a Gerald Ford Democrat, so that's kind of where I am. Interesting. Uh, I'm a Midwesterner. What can I say? We got to get you back to talk about homeless. We had too many calls. Yeah. yeah. Um, We got 40 seconds for a final thought, Supervisor. Well, Dave, I just really appreciate you and this show because coming on, taking all the calls, I, I appreciate everybody calling in. We got a lot of challenging issues and things coming before us, and we got to do it together. We really just have to do it together. So everybody's input is welcome, and um, I just look forward to 2024 and what it can bring for us. It's interesting. We had eight phone calls, and only one is from your district. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know. Uh, But you don't have a challenger other than a possible write-in. Yes, so I I appreciate that, and hopefully everybody gets out at the primary, and we'll see how things go. All right, Supervisor, thank you. Thank you. you Be well. Take care. News, traffic, and weather. Back on the other side with the former county supervisor, David Blakely. No politics. He's here to talk about his dad, very famous uh, aviator in World War II. Stick around. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kbec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.